Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Yes, live through your ear holes. It's the best show in combat sports, maybe even the best uh, sitcom disguised as a talk show that they've ever put together, and it's called Morning Combat, and it is Friday, May 14th, 2021. Uh, I'm going to get mine, so get yours. I want to see sweat coming out your pores. It's your boy, BC, Brian Campbell, CBS Sports Showtime, coming to you live and direct from this McDonald's Wi-Fi we got going on here uh, on location for Saturday's Showtime Championship Boxing Card in Southern California. I'm going to be here as long as this thing holds together under Jay Aaron's poorly put together travel kit. My partner, though, is coming to you live from the nation's capital. He's the most respected name of a non-fighter in terms of breaking down fights in the history history of this sport unless he's sitting next to Josh Thompson on a panel and his name is Luke Thomas. Someone asked me on the live chat yesterday, who does Josh hate more, me or you? It's you, right? Uh, there's no hate. I don't know if you caught the weighing in episode. They they closed the show with a nice little, we don't hate those guys. It was just entertainment. You know what, Luke? Yeah, it no, was. It was. I, I tried to, okay. I, in all seriousness, I tried to explain to the audience yesterday. I was like, listen. You know, we're grown men. We're having a little bit of a fun little battle on air, but it's really not that serious. People don't need to be all that serious about it. So, yes, I'm here. I'm ready for today's show, BC. I'm ready for an effing pay-per-view tomorrow. Yeah. Let's do this, bro. Yeah. Can we pour one out for the uh, recent cu uh, UFC cut list that happened, Luke? I never wanted Justine Kish to get remembered as the one who crapped her pants in the cage, but uh, that happened, Luke, okay? It happened, so we'll pour one out for her. Uh, also, Luke, we got a great show are for you, you today. Are you now the guy at the gym with... Hold on. Are you now the guy at the gym that has the empty gallon of water they just jug lug around because they want everyone to know how hydrated they are? I would need to actually be at the gym to be the guy at the gym. So the question, the answer to that is no, Luke. <laughs> but we do have a... Uh, a great episode today of Morning Combat in which we'll set the stage. UFC 262 speaks for itself. Fantastic card, vacant lightweight title. We got Showtime Championship Boxing, and this is legit this weekend, getting you fired up for that. A lot of news uh, in between and all that. Uh, I think I just spilled, but that's all right. No one really cares. It's a hotel, Luke. People spill fluids there all the time. Um, so here's the deal. In between, before we get into the good stuff here, uh, there's a lot of great stuff coming your way in the future. You heard on Monday's episode of Morning Combat that Luke laid into the staff here at Showtime Amalka and said, Merch 2.0? If it ain't here, we might not be here anymore. So they have responded, Luke, next week, the launch is coming where you can get this white, pale, pasty sweatshirt with the MK logo on it and many new uh, merch to come your way. So why don't you go right now to store.show.com and pick up whatever is left of MK launch uh, 1.0 of merch. But the new one, the new one is coming in a week, international shipping. I'm being told that um, my audio's choppy. We're gonna have to fight through it, all right? Uh, a lot of good stuff coming your way there. No, also, no, you, your audio to the audience is fine. Hold on, hold on, okay. BC, your, BC, BC. Yeah, your I'm here, audio Luke. to the audience okay. is fine. Your audio to me is a little choppy, but go ahead. Okay, fight through it, Luke, all right? Okay, this all is right. gonna be awful. Go ahead. Lighten up, Francis. I mean, you absolute dirt hole. All right. Uh, also, look, it's a great time to be a uh, combat sports fan. And the home of combat sports right now is Showtime.com. So why don't you go there, drop a little forward slash Bellator MMA on the end of that. 30 days free, $4.99 a month for the first six for new subscribers. Why is this a great deal? 
top flight movies, documentaries, the only place you can watch Rumble Johnson and the folks over there at Bellator MMA. And also this Saturday, Showtime Championship Boxing, back with a bang. Your boy BC will be in there filling in for Jim Gray, handling the interviews. You're going to want to see all that. And then some tall, pale, and handsome. It's this man right here. Uh, Luke, anything else we can sell these people? Anything else important to say? Tomorrow night, uh, I'll be in my office at home, so no one will take me away from it. Tomorrow night, after UFC 262, live post-fight show right here on MK. We got you covered with some live results and analysis. So be on the lookout and join me then. All right. All right. Look, it's Friday. It's the orange background. BC's hosting. You can follow us at all those channels below. Anything happens on a Friday, we'd like you to like and subscribe this video because uh, we got big plans and we want you to be a part of them. It's not just the three live shows per week. Luke's live chat, which went on yesterday and probably, you know, I'll over-delivered anything I've ever done in a solo capacity on this channel, right? Okay, what, what am I? What am I, just a clown to all you guys here at Morning Combat? What do I, just come on to make Luke look more, more palatable than normal? Is that how this works? Uh, either way, we got a lot of big stuff that we're going, big fights coming in the next few months. Stop grazing, all right? Stop, stop taking this shit for free. It is free. All you have to do is sign up, give us your credit card information and your social security number, and uh, nothing bad will happen moving forward. We'll keep Rumble away from all that stuff. All right, Luke, um, it's time to get into, into the goods here. Yes, it is. Let's do it. Okay. All right. There's a nice awkward pause. Wondering if I was still connected. Do the audio yes, on your end, that McDonald's Wi-Fi you have as you don't hear me and keep talking, uh, it's terrible. It's making it extremely difficult to understand you. So go ahead. Look, as long as the people can understand me and from the beginning they have, that's been the secret sauce of this show. I will power forward this Saturday. Must see fight in the main event. UFC 262 going on down. From Houston, Texas, the Toyota Center, fans will be back and a vacant lightweight title will be at stake in the main event. And for all the lamenting that even people like your boy BC have done, that Habib's gone, the other big names are coming off of a loss or chasing Conor McGregor, maybe it's unlikely where we studied a year ago that this Saturday night, Charles Dubronx Oliveira and Michael Chandler will be the two competing for the vacant lightweight title. But Luke, as I have often echoed after that original lament, it'd be hard to pick a fight that guarantees more fireworks and explosions in this one. So let's put all that other uh, storyline crap aside and get into what this fight actually looks like. Oliveira riding in a very impressive eight-fight win streak within this deep division. Yes, it was really the last two, though. Uh, the Kevin Lee win, the Tony Ferguson win that, that put him in this spot that woke a lot of people up. He's the UFC record holder and finishes and submissions. And he's going in there against a very red hot Michael Chandler, who fresh off his UFC debut, sent uh, Dan Hooker packing uh, back down south to the, to the down under, stopping through hell on the way there because it was that impressive of a left hook finish. Luke, I know you're expecting fireworks, but from an X's and O's, Dig deep, right? Swim a little bit in there and tell me what I should be looking for as maybe nothing more than a pasty, filthy cash entering this championship out. If you can hear me. If I'm not speaking to myself. Right, I think a couple of things, and one part of it gets pretty interesting, but the one thing I think you should expect is like what range this fight is contested at, which is true for any fight as being a relevant consideration, but especially relevant here. What I mean to say is, you know, Michael Chandler does have good leg kicks of his own that set up other weapons. He's got a great body kick that he uses that sets up a lot of his other weapons, so it's not like he can't compete at kicking range. 
But I just feel like at kicking range with someone like Oliveira, who, by the way, stands really tall, who's going to have great extension on it, you know, who's going to be ready to anticipate a guy who's moving into him like Michael Chandler. Um, I tend to think he probably won't spend a ton of time there. He's going to be looked to spending the kind of time he did against Dan Hooker, pressuring him backwards, getting him moving, and try to find boxing range. Uh, and that, you know, in there, and especially early, if you look at every finish he's had, I believe this is true, every finish he's had, except for the Eddie Alvarez finish, which was almost 10 years ago at this point, um, they all come in the first or second round, whether that's a submission or a TKO or KO. He gets busy early and then kind of isn't necessarily that way a little bit later. So if I'm Oliveira, I'm trying to find the fight on kickboxing range or certainly wrap up close. You're going to want to imagine that a guy like Chandler is not going to want to have like uh, at least standing, you know, being wrapped up by a guy like Charles Oliveira. The one place it gets kind of interesting, BC, I went back and I watched it this morning. I shared it on Twitter, which was that if you go back and you look at a fight from about three years ago that Chandler had on, uh, in Bellator, it was with a guy by the name of Goichi Yamauchi. And I, I know a lot of MMA fans, including UFC fans, may not know that name. Listen, no two fighters are alike. Charles Oliveira and Goichi Yamauchi are very, very different. But I guess what I can say is that on the ground, they're, they're kind of similar. In fact, pretty similar. They've got great active guards. They're good at back takes. They have unorthodox takedowns when they need it. On the feet, at kicking range. Yamauchi can be a bit of a handful, certainly. So, like, you look at that fight, you say, what did you learn from that? Chandler got lit up a little bit on the feet in the second round in that fight, but mostly was actually able to take down Yamauchi and work from on top. I would not actually be surprised if at some point he takes down Charles Oliveira, Paul Felder did, and then was able to get great ground and pound on top. So I'm looking for Chandler maybe to get the takedown. That part's a little bit unclear, but definitely working inside boxing range. And for someone like Oliveira, a bit of the opposite, all the way in, all the way out, either a kickboxing range or really sort of close clinch range. And I think the fight will be won or lost based on who can have the best work in those spaces. Storyline-wise, we know this is an incredible spot that Chandler finds himself in. Uh, Tony Ferguson had the great joke, Luke, yesterday at the press conference saying his uh, Chandler's you know, e- evolution into a title opportunity was due to Dana White privilege, which was... Uh, can we keep that term around, Luke? It's absolutely hilarious. But Chandler has done company man-wise the right thing since entering the UFC. Yes, the seas parted perfectly for him to be in this spot. But why I wanted that to is, ask you... Can I say, a lot of times... You said a lot of times, Luke, and then you stopped talking. I'm waiting for you. I'm just sitting here waiting for you. Am I talking to myself, Luke? Anyway, I guess I'll keep going, Luke. I don't. I don't know. Do you have a seizure over no, there? No. The on? Uh, yeah, this shit sucks. This setup is is uh, really terrible. I was just gonna say Dana White privilege is you know a lot of times Tony says stuff and it's a little bit gibberishy. You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Wow, Dana White privilege is about the best play on words I could imagine. So well done to Tony. Well, to, ch- to, to credit to Chandler, though, uh, he did the company man thing by being the backup for Habib's last fight. And then again, he blows away Dan Hooker, which put him in this conversation. Well, now he's got the title fight. But I want to ask you, Luke, where Chandler actually is at 35. A very small betting underdog in this fight. And, and if I'm looking at this from a, again, sort of a let's dumb it down as much possible, I think it's going to be a war. I don't think it's going to go the distance. And even though Oliveira may have, let's say, more opportunities or ways to finish a fight, I think Chandler's coming in with the biggest gun with his, uh, you know, with his power and his ability to know how to close distance and get it off. Is Chandler this much better right now than he was just a few years ago? I mean, have you seen a, a... an elevation of confidence? I mean, he is 35. He has been through the wars. He's always been a 
elite but vulnerable fighter who could get hurt, who could, you know, go for broke, going for the knockout and come up empty. He's battled through losing streaks in the past. What is different right now, though, about this version of Chandler compared to his uh, elite Bellator days? In many ways, it's the same thing you could say about Charles Oliveira, which is to say, dude, his striking has just gotten so much better. I mean, everyone's kind of focusing in on the Dan Hooker fight, and rightly so, right, where he was looking down, switching stances, um, you know, going high-low. I mean, all the things you would want to see from somebody who knows what they're doing. In fact, there was a video. I can't remember if... Um, can't remember where I saw it. it. May have been a count. Oh, you know what? There was a video that came out UFC did called Dean Diaries, like the Dean Thomas Diaries, and in there, Michael Chandler basically says to Dean Thomas, he's look, he's like, look, man, I don't have a whole lot of different punches. He's like, I got three or four, but they all work. It, but what he meant to say is, he's got really clever setups for it. His entries are better. His exits are better. His his fainting and his faking, like the disguising of what he's doing, it's so good. And so what I mean to say is, you look at that Dan Hooker fight, you see all of that in play. Well, dude, go to the fight that got him into the UFC, the Benson Henderson fight, and he fooled his ass too. Now that Benson Henderson isn't at the peak of his powers anymore, but Michael Chandler walked through him in that first fight, totally had him fooled, and then stopped him with strikes inside the first round. Even if Benson Henderson is not peak anymore, dude, who does that to him? Nobody does that to him. Nobody does that to him in that kind of way. And he followed up that performance with the Dan Hooker performance. So to me, it's like, dude, what's the difference? Okay, he's always been kind of hard-nosed about aggression. He's always had very good wrestling. He's always been pretty durable, that 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 one weird uh, Will Brooks fight notwithstanding. Um, the difference for me here is that he is just much more... He has He's urgent while still being patient with his entries. He has this weird ability to apply pressure and get guys backing up and thinking about what he's going to do, but not necessarily rushing into it um, in the way that he might have, perhaps. And by the way, we should say this about Charles Oliveira, too. Dude, his stand-up has gotten just... It has changed the game for him. In particular, I think his jab is great. I think his combinations with kicks are great. I think he's got actually surprisingly good accuracy. And because he stands so tall, you might think he's a, a big threat to be taken down, and probably he is. But not a lot of people want to take that dude down. So it's like you can work on your takedown defense if you want. But if I was him, I would just let the, the fight go to that place and let myself stand tall. You know Michael Chandler's going to be bearing down on you physically or walking into you. I guarantee you Chandler's going to be low, looking for those kind of takedown attempts, ready to like level change. You're going to see Oliveira tall, BC. And I think he's going to have knees ready for him, all kinds of stuff. It's Again, it's going to go back to... Who can figure out where that fight should be? Should it be in Michael Chandler's boxing range? Should it be these two other ranges standing on the floor? Um, but I can't wait. And by the way, you also have said it's all action. 1,000% correct. These guys don't know how to fight in a way that's just not offensively minded. So this one should be good. Are you back with us now? I am back, Luke. I didn't hear anything you said, but I am back. Can you hear me? Are we good? We're ready to dominate you, now? You sound good now, yeah. Okay, Luke, this is this is great. We changed this for the people. Luke, I wonder quickly, do you think along it's been a cutesy, you know, part of the process, a nice, you know, Cindy Crawford's dot above her lip, right? It's been somehow it became sexy, right? It's a mole. Our audio and technical issues are a giant freaking mole. I don't want people to think it's sexy. I want to be the best show in the world. Yeah, I don't know if it's the mole. I think it's more like we're like it's like the cellulite on a on a on a 
aging porn star's ass. <laughs> Well, I didn't hear a thing you said about this fight, but Luke, I want to echo something I said. I don't even know if you heard it before. As casual and basic as I could say this, both of these guys are hungry. This is the biggest fight of their life. They're finishers. They have no reason to go in and try to stall this fight. They're going to press the action. Again, I think Chandler's got the biggest gun in this battle. He's a slight underdog, but that's the pick this week, Luke. That's the damn pick. Chandler by knockout. The momentum he's riding, the confidence that he has right now, he's playing with house money. Yes, he's playing it against one of the most dangerous guys in the game, but Chandler by knockout feels right right now, Luke. I know you don't like to make predictions because you're an old bitch, but how do you feel about my prediction? Why, why, why do you insist on the name calling? I don't ever call you names. Have you noticed that? I don't ever have to do that to like make my argument. I believe you described my skin as uh, country time lemonade mixed with um, the underneath carriage of your ball sack, Luke. Okay, so we've been in dark places together. So just keep I'm rolling. I'm not saying right? I'm not insulting. I just don't call you names. Uh, yeah, man. Listen, we, we talked about it a million times up to this point, but it does worth it's worth repeating. Dustin Poirier should be a part of any kind of stakes. In fact, I did CBS, uh, CBS Sports HQ this morning, BC, and Tommy Tran, our good friend, asked us, um, you know, about parts of this fight and and, and sort of what it meant and 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 uh, what to look forward to and X's and O's. And so many of the things I said there, I've repeated here. But also, it you know, we we talked about it before, dude. These are two guys that were never supposed to be here that just kind of got good later in their careers it's not just that we didn't know that michael chandler was going to ever leave bellator at the you know 34 35 or that um uh, you know the case of Oliveira that he was always going to be a jiu-jitsu guy and he just sort of developed into what he did but they have they have routinely over time so like not in these dramatic moments but like consistently over time they've kind of defied some of the narratives around them and at this late stage um you really got just two completely different guys for when I think the world was introduced to them. I mean, how many people saw like Chandler versus Rick Hahn? Go back and watch that Chandler. That was a sort of a, like, I'll throw a big heavy overhand, take you into the fence, take you down, and then take your back and choke you out, kind of like a Eddie Alvarez first fight on repeat. You know, he wouldn't even remotely approach that fight the same way today. And Charles Oliveira, you go back to some of his wins. I mean, it's just a completely different ball game. These guys were not supposed to be here, but they are absolutely quality fighters. I don't know that they're the best lightweight on earth. I think that one very much is still up for grabs. But I think Tommy Tran asked me, like, do these guys, would the winner here be deserving of respect? And I say, dude, by hook or by crook, if you've got a belt around your waist that says UFC on it, you're probably a bad motherfucker, man. You probably are. Um, and on top of it, to do it in this way where, you know, the Aljo thing where it kind of got it via DQ, but here you have, to, you have to go out and beat one of these two guys? Shit, man. You know, you better be prepared for a big fight as a fan, uh, an exciting fight, and two guys eminently worthy of praise. I don't think that answered your question, but I wanted to say that. Yeah, I don't even remember what my question was, but I will say Chandler kisses his adopted son on the lips, so big fan of him. Not sure if he has any French-Canadian in his background there. But to close on Dubronx, Luke, who... Um, you know, we've watched him, you know, especially as a featherweight, go through losing skids, and he's turned it around, and the eight-fight win streak is very impressive, but, you know, for the historically deep era of this division, it, it took a, a few fights before he started beating some really dangerous names, so it, that's nothing to take away from what he's got there, but do you think there's any element of him 
that that isn't necessarily elite that we should watch for? Can his chin take this kind of offensive outburst? Um, we know he's a finishing machine. Does his submission abilities match well with with Chandler's own vulnerability at all on the ground in that category? Uh, if you were if you were riding Dubronx hard right here, how does this fight end? So listen to this. If I I, I understand he made his debut in August of 2010, so we're more than you know, 11 years, or basically 11 years into it, right, his run. But these are the names that he lost to. Jim Miller, Nick Lance, which he defeated a few times after that, or a couple times anyway, Donald Cerrone, uh, Cub Swanson, Frankie Edgar, uh, Max Holloway, Anthony Pettis, Ricardo Lamas, and Paul Felder is the last one. Dude, like, <laughs> he lost to, like, for the most part, mostly only super elite names. And he, the last one was four years ago. Um... I think in in terms of how he matches up here, the Felder one, like to answer your question, like I don't want to overemphasize those losses, but because of the quality of the opposition, but at the same time, there's enough of them early on where I do think if you're asking what is the Achilles heel of uh, Dobronx in this particular fight, durability is something to pay attention to, and I'm not declaring to you that's the X factor, stamp it, you'll see it, blah blah blah. But you're right, dude. Like, Paul Felder kind of went into his guard and then just hammered him. And I think he was so surprised and kind of physically overwhelmed by it that uh, it kind of was shocking. You know, and he's had a couple of the moments where, like, I think uh, it was Lamas who guillotined him. Like, there's been moments where, you know, other guys who can match or even exceed his physical intensity, they do really well. Well, dude, Chandler, at least early, is that guy. I can't overstate this, BC. Charles Oliveira... He might get a submission early. MMA's crazy. You never know. But it does look like to me that dragging this fight a little deep and then catching a guy who can make mistakes a little bit later, kind of like what he did against Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee doesn't come out making a ton of mistakes that are going to cost him the fight. But over time in the fight, right, in that fight with Oliveira, they begin to add up and add up and add up. I think he's going to look for something kind of similar. But the key is you just can't get blown out in that first or second round, which Chandler is obviously extremely capable of doing. Luke, uh, Dana would not commit on Thursday at Thursday's press conference when asked multiple times about, you know, who would be the first title defense for the winner here. How do we match this division moving forward? We know we're going to get into this co-main event in a second, which has Tony Ferguson and Benil Dariush. We know Connor and Dustin will, will fight for a third time in July. Uh, how do you see... The, the future playing out for the winner of this Oliveira Chandler card in terms of who's next. I mean, Gaethje is also out there. Yeah, I didn't see yesterday's presser, so I'm a little bit surprised by that to hear that uh, Dana wouldn't commit to it. Isn't it obvious that the winner of Poirier McGregor would get it? If I'm looking at the lightweight division, there's no one at the top of it. So one is Poirier, two is Gaethje, three Oliveira, four Chandler, five is Tony. Maybe if Tony wins, they'll give it. Maybe if. Nate comes back to 155, that's what they're thinking. But, like, dude, if Dustin Poirier is number one and he wins the Connor fight, <laughs> how does he not get the title shot? I don't even understand. what. I don't really understand what the alternative choice is. You jump to Tony at five over Dustin at one? Okay, maybe, I guess. Is there any chance Gaethje gets a title shot without getting another win first only because of the run that he was on before the Habib fight and because of the guys who know what really happened there realized he was one leg strike away from putting Habib in peril, which Nurmagomedov did confirm after. Thank you, everyone. Uh, as perilous as it might have gotten for Habib in that contest, 
I would be surprised, bro. Don't you have to get one more? I mean, you don't. You can get a title. You can get a title shot off a seven-fight losing streak if you wanted, uh, and the promotion did. So in that sense, no, there's nothing preventing him. But um, I no, no. I, I listen. They're probably waiting to see what do we got in Tony. What do we got in Benil? Let's see what happens with Connor. Let's see what happens with uh, Dustin. But I suspect that if Dustin wins, I, I honestly just he's supposed to be here now. So if he's not going to be, and he still wins in the absence, dude, it has to be him. Dana can say whatever to keep his options open, but that 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 I, I could not imagine a scenario where if he wins and is, and and is healthy, he doesn't get the title shot. Well, it's a perfect transition into our co-main event at UFC 262 on Saturday when Tony Ferguson faces Red Hot Benil Dariush because, Luke, for Ferguson, I mean, you just sort of nailed something I hadn't really thought about that. You know, I, I put the narrative around Ferguson that coming off of two losses after that phenomenal win streak he had and the two losses being largely one-sided, that at 37, you feel like this is a little bit of a referendum at the elite level of Tony. You know, which direction is he going moving forward? Can he buy some time and hang out here? Or is what we've seen in the past two fights albeit against elite competition, was that sort of a, a new understanding of who Tony is and the direction he's going. I hadn't really thought of what if he comes out here and gets a big finish and looks fantastic. Could his history of success and being a company guy and being willing to do things last minute, turn around quick after injuries, all that, could that help him get into a title fight? That would be interesting. But as it pertains to this matchup and him just getting through it, Benil Darius, Luke, had been one of those guys who's all action, hits hard, honest fighter, comes after you, but he's finally putting the kind of win streak together that seems like he's ready to separate himself from that other pack and that truly elite pack in this historically deep division that we've had the past two years. You love this matchup because you don't know what you're going to get from Tony, and you don't know if Darius at his very best is going to be good enough to beat that regardless. At the very least, though, as we look at this, uh, all-out war, Luke? Question mark? Because um, I don't really know how it could be anything else. Yeah, I mean, that, he only competes one way, Benil Dariush. I wouldn't call him. I wouldn't call him insanely reckless. I don't think that's quite true. But I would say he does not. When when sh- when the when the moment gets hot, he does not really err on the side of caution. Right when the moment's hot, he likes to turn up the heat even more. That's sort of the way he is, and sometimes that's cost him. Uh, sometimes it's not, and 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 either way, it's made for pretty dramatic fights and moments, memorable ones, win or lose. I remember his loss to Edson Barboza, that vicious knee, you know, that he kind of walked into. At the same time, the win he had over Drakkar Close was just absolutely spectacular, and since then, he's had two more, one of which he got in the first round. I mean, here's the deal. This is the win streak he's on. Tiago Moises, Drew Dober, Frank Camacho, uh, Drakkar Close, Scott Holtzman, and... Carlos Diego Fajeda. Now, the only decisions there are the first ones and the last ones, the Moises and the Fajeda. Everyone else he got via uh, finish. Fajeda, to me, is dramatically improved. I think he is an absolutely excellent fighter. I think that might even be his best win, honestly, if you're Benil Dariush. But none of those names, not one of them, carries the same level of significance or meaning as beating Tony Ferguson if, in fact, he's able to do it. It would absolutely mark, to this point, the high water level of Dariush's career, who a guy who made a name for himself in jiu-jitsu, then transitioned to MMA, and in MMA has been somewhat up and down, I think that's fair to say, but a guy who I would also argue, BC, very much one of these dudes who has reflected on why he lost and didn't make a crazy amount of alterations, although he got better over time, 
uh, tightened up some of the recklessness. So he, to me, he will absolutely throw down. He is a bite on the mouthpiece, come forward type. No two ways about it. But he is actually even more dangerous now because he's somewhat more careful about it. He won't give you, BC, the low-hanging fruit that comes with recklessness. You have to go up a little bit on the tree to catch him. So to me, I think this guy, when he's on, Benil Dariush can beat almost any lightweight on the planet, but he's never contended for a title. He's never held a title. So for Ferguson to lose to a guy like that, you know, we're, we're heaping all this praise on him, it would mark a, a new low, I think, in not the not a new low, a new low since he became a high level fighter in the career of Tony. If in fact that happens, and and he's been such a high level fighter for the for the length of that what twelve fight win streak that it it feels like forever. You know, I mean, obviously we we watched the the losses and, and the growth from the from the early days, but Tony's just been on such a great run that I love this fight because if. If what we saw in the last two fights for Ferguson is a is a harbinger of doom to come, then Darius could be the wrong guy. He's he's big, he's physical, he's explosive. He goes after it. Uh, we could see Tony get stopped here and just be shocked and be like, "Wow, you know, similar to let's say Tyron Woodley's quick turnaround from super elite to out the door." It could be the continuation of that, and I think that's why the better the odds makers have Darius, uh, our, our friends at William Hill, as a very small minus one seventy five favorite here. But Luke, it's still Tony Ferguson, though. And as good as Darius has looked, he's been doing it against the second tier of the division. There is a gap there, especially when you have a division this stacked in terms of levels. Uh, Even if Tony Ferguson is, you know, 75% of what he was three, four fights ago, it still might be enough to beat a guy like Darius at the end of the day. Do you see the ground game and some some of the things that Tony can do beyond just taking punishment and walking forward being a big factor in this one and Ferguson finding a way to get a much-needed win. Yeah, I would caution somewhat, not not in totality, but I would caution somewhat against overemphasizing the similarities between Ferguson and Woodley. I mean, listen, there are similarities. Uh, Ferguson, 37 at lightweight, that's kind of old for lightweight. Um, losing, and not only that, but like losing every round consecutively fight over fight. That is similar. But something to keep in mind here, the fight against Gaethje went five rounds, uh, or you know, into the fifth round anyway, uh, before it got stopped. The Oliveira fight was only three rounds. This fight, BC, is only three rounds. I have to say, if I'm Tony Ferguson, I mean, we'll see what happens tomorrow but and I don't know that it would have changed things necessarily in a Charles Oliveira fight but for a guy like Tony who's got just absolutely indefatigable cardio I would want to be in these five round fights because he makes mistakes and it can cost him over time but he's also got power and the power carries late if he can stay in a fight longer there's more opportunities for his opponents to trip up and I don't think that they deal with that kind of thing as well as Tony does. So understand, you know, Tyron had like five-round fight, five-round fight, five-round fight, and then it was the, uh, I think the Colby fight or the Luque fight, whichever one came fourth, um, and it didn't go well for him. But, you know, he had 15 rounds plus of consecutive losing. Here with with uh, uh, Tony, we're only at, what, nine? I mean, that's still a lot, but I'm not ready to say, like, to me, Woodley wasn't really fighting back and you know that last Luke fight, notwithstanding, you know he tries to fight back and then he gets finished. If you go back and you watch, I made this point, dude. I went back and I watched the ground interaction in the first round. You can see Tony's like a little bit like, "What the hell's going on?" 
But by the second and third round, dude, he was not getting bombed on. He was getting taken down and controlled, but he wasn't eating a ton of damage, which is why I'm, I keep saying like a three-round fight versus a five-round fight for Tony, there's a big difference there. So uh, Benil's got to get to work, and he's got to get to work early because I actually do think that if he lets Tony hang around a little bit, that might cost him later. Very good analysis. Uh, is Benil a, a man after your own heart, Luke, from this standpoint? He's 32 years old, biggest fight of his life. But there's a lot of salt and pepper going on upstairs. I don't know if you watch the Embedded series. He's not dying that shit out, just like you. He, he's standing firm. He's got a baby on the way. His wife's by his side throughout all this process. I thought that might endear him a bit to you. Yeah, he's got the salt and pepper hair going on. He's a li- How old is Benil Dariush? He's a little bit I, older, too. I just said 32, Luke. I don't know if you, if you can hear properly. I just said 32. No, I, I, listen, my ears work. Whether Zoom works, I don't know. You're right. He's 32. Uh, and May 6th, he'll be 30. Actually, already just turned 32. So, yeah, he's still pretty young. Um, yeah, I forgot what you asked. Sorry. Yeah, this, all right. This that was great. Let's move out. it forward. Luke, you know what's going to be the fight of the night, though? Not not Chandler Oliveira. It'll be fantastic as long as it lasts. But uh, it's going to be that featherweight three-round tilt when Shane Burgos comes back Ooh. following that blood and guts put it all on the line war in which he lost to Josh Emmett last year in one of the most heartbreaking defeats because he put it all on the line. Well, now he's facing Edson Barbosa, who looks pretty comfortable in his new weight class, finally got off the snide and got a win in his last fight. Uh, Luke, this is going to be freaking fireworks freaking dude <laughs> someone's gonna get hurt <laughs> someone's gonna get hurt i'll uh, drink to that I'll, yeah all yeah. right i mean i know that sounds kind of crude but jesus dude you got two guys who just don't have i want to say okay that's a little bit overstatement barboza has a stick and move gear when pushed into it in fact i think you're gonna see burgos actually push him into that space but also he doesn't know any other gear other than to sling the dogs back when he gets pushed like you're never going to see barboza hunt for a takedown for two rounds just to slow the fight down he's going to keep it on his feet he's going to keep it moving and burgos is going to be up in his face i tend to think that like the blueprint on barboza has been written so many times in part by the way one of the first guys to successfully do it was tony ferguson that if you just put insane pressure on him and he can't set his feet, he's a much more manageable task. We'll see if Burgos is up to it, but either way, dude, Barboza's going to get his pound of flesh. So you're right. In terms of just action-packed fun, and actually some significance for the, the, the division as well, that one is just absolutely cannot miss. Well, I what wonder if there's more Caitlin significance. What's going on in the weigh-ins? Everyone's texting me. Uh, I wonder if there's more. Hold on, we'll get to Chikagian in a second. I wonder if there's more significance for Barbosa than we realize because of the name value. If he gets a big win here and that's two in a row, you just wonder. I know the featherweight division is packed at the top in terms of names looking to get into title contention, but if Zabit doesn't fight again and if the 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 seas part the right way, you never know how close Barbosa could be with a win. I do have some worry for Burgos because he gave so much in that last fight against Emmett, then took a year off. Can you? get back to that same level of hunger when you give your absolute all and come up just short is Barbosa the wrong opponent at the wrong time in that regard something to watch closely there Luke what do you have about Caitlin Shukajian who is uh taking on Vivian Arujo on Saturday Nothing. Is she people keep her? texting me like are you following this and I'm like I don't know what this is I was hoping someone else would know okay all right, so it's a live show if any of our producers could pick up on what people are picking up. Luke, um, I don't usually get excited about Caitlin Chukagian fights. This would continue that trend. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, I don't have any strong opinions about it one way or the other. Best of luck. Uh, may the best woman win. Luke, I'll tell you what fight I'm focused on on this undercard. Antonina Shevchenko is back, Luke, and she's you're facing so, a... You're so sad. You're so she's sad. She's facing a KGB Lee who's coming off of three straight defeats. Luke, at 36, is the Antonina experiment over? Meaning, we know who she is. We know the ceiling. She's the, the sidekick for the great Valentina. They help train each other. They do that double kicking video all the time on the bag, and it's great, and it's fun, and maybe people like you think dirty things, but... um. Could she well, ever do something? Could she? I mean, is this it? This is it, right, Luke? This is it. This is yeah, this is it. This is it. You know, she'll hang around. She'll get some wins. Uh, but it's pretty clear that she's not her sister. You know, it's it's the person who gets into Harvard because their parents went there, you know. Wow. Wow. Very. Uh, you're going to drop a uh, an Aunt Becky reference here on any kind of. No, uh, it's like. Uh, no, no, no. That, that was illegal. I just mean, you know. Uh, it, it membership has its privileges, just the way the world okay. works. You know, she's a good fighter, but she's obviously not nearly the level of her. Are sister. you moved by any other bouts on this card, Luke? I mean, when Lando Venata fights, you typically find your way to the TV. Uh, the Lando Venata fight is interesting. Taking on Mike Grundy, I don't know where Lando is anymore. He came out like red hot. Remember where he lost to Tony, but he gave him all he could handle, and then he just absolutely worked over. Um, uh, John McDessie finished him, I think, within a round or something. And you were like, dude, Lando Venata is the fucking truth. And then just ran into wall after wall after wall after wall. I still believe in his ability. I, I, you know, we've got the Kevin Lee syndrome with him. Like, I've seen him be very, very good. Uh, but he's just had a hard time following up since then. So, like, if you look at his record now, he's coming to us off the loss from Bobby Green. He does have the win over Nancy. Or excuse me, Yancey. But he hasn't had a, submish, uh, a, a submission or a, a finish since February of 2019. Like, he's just been really, really, really up and down in the UFC. Uh, Luke, Jacare has lost three in a row, four of his last five, five of his last seven. If yeah. he loses to Andre Muniz here in the preliminary card main event at 41, is that it for the old, uh, the, the old Gator? The, yeah. The guy? Yeah. Man, it, you know what? It breaks my heart because if you were around at the time before Jacare made his move to MMA where he was this jiu-jitsu phenom, you have to understand he came up at a time. Now you're beginning to see it split a little bit where like Mikey Musumeci would be like, ah, I'm only going to focus on Gi, and it was a big deal because he changed to no Gi recently. Or you got guys like Gordon Ryan who exclusively do not use the Gi. They just use no Gi. Jacare came up in an age where like good jiu-jitsu was you had to have it all. And in many cases, that's still a lot of people do both. But I just mean he was like from the era where that was just assumed everyone did that. And he won everything on both levels. He got gold medals at ADCC. He has multiple black belt world titles in the Mundials. And then he came over to MMA and he stumbled right at the beginning. But pretty quickly, we could see how good he was. It was so exciting because he was... He wasn't one of these jujitsu guys who was like kind of like a crafty gripper and could slow the fight down. He was athletic as shit. But dude, even a great, phenomenal athlete like Jacare Souza, it comes to and it close at some point. BC, you may have said how old he is. I know he's older than 40. Um, dude. I definitely like, said how old he is, Luke. He's 41. 41. Yeah, I mean, I'm 41. What does that tell you? I mean, Jacare is a better a better athlete than I've ever been at any point. But relative to where I've been, BC, I'm hella washed. I don't think he's quite necessarily there. But, dude, the door is closing a little bit on him. And, and you're right. If he loses to, to Mooney's, that, that might be it. 
Uh, you look. Did you say earlier on the show that you'll be doing a two sixty two post fight morning combat live I show? Did. This is an interesting after- podcast where I say things and you say things, and we don't hear anything the other one says. It's great. Maybe that's a choice, Luke. Maybe that's what happens in marriages. All right, all right. <laughs> All right. Maybe hey, so. Luke, let's keep it rolling. Uh, Saturday is all right for fighting in a few different venues. One of them will be the great War Grounds, the old StubHub Center. We now call it Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. I'll be there, Luke, as part of the team Showtime Championship Boxing. And we know, Luke, we've talked a lot about Showtime's commitment to the 122-pound division, junior featherweight, super bantamweight, whatever you want to call it. we got a fun piece of business here Saturday night. A unification of sorts when unbeaten Brandon Figueroa brings his secondary title at 122 against WBC champion and full-time destroyer Luis Neri of Mexico. Luke, uh, the, this is a you know hardcore fight fans dream. All the boxing super fans, journalists have been get, getting fired up for this. It's not just the, the setting, right? The old StubHub Center gives you one brawl, great brawl after another from Vasquez Marquez to Provodnikov Bradley and on. And I mean, so many through the years. But it's the, the what's at stake here? A unification. The winner's going to face unbeaten Stephen Fulton Jr. for his belt and another unification on September 11th on Showtime. Fulton will be ringside on Saturday, but it's the Styles clash. Neary, the southpaw, the giant puncher against Figueroa, who just does not stop coming forward full volume, even though Figueroa's got a legitimate height advantage at three inches and reach at six and a half. He often, like his older brother Omar, just uh, punts that away to get in there and mix it up. Luke, even you have to be fired up for this one on Saturday. Dude, this one is, I can't wait. I can't wait. Partly because you're going to be in the broadcast. I'm pumped for you. I can't wait to see what you do. Please don't have diarrhea on air and be like, oh, my God, I just sharded live on air. Don't do that. Uh, But more importantly, for that main event, dude, you know what? I only know these names by virtue of having to get back in the boxing coverage game, and I watched them compete. Both of these guys, I believe, competed on that Charlo doubleheader that you and I were both at. And uh, Neary, not quite as impressive as we predicted, although partly his opponent was much better than we thought. But Figueroa, you're right, dude. If you guys have never seen this, I'm trying to explain what it might look like. It's almost like R2-D2 versus C-3PO in terms of body type. Neary is short, stocky, obviously not round, but uh, you know, smaller, kind of diminutive frame. Obviously, he's not a huge guy for the weight class. And then you see Figueroa here. Dude, he's up in your grill, even though he's tall and he's rangy. He doesn't really like to fight from range. He's a volume guy who kind of just, BC, he doesn't get in the pocket with you head to head. He kind of hangs over you like a tree, uh, uh, you know, covering someone resting underneath. He likes to like overwrap you in a way. And he's very, very good at it. He lives in that space. I was very, very watching tape on him. Before his fight on the Charlo doubleheaders, I was watching Tampa. I was like, dude, someone's going to get him fighting this way because he doesn't need to be doing this. But you just begin to realize he ha- he's like a left-handed guy who bats right or whatever the exact phrasing of it might be. He doesn't necessarily use his natural advantages, but the way in which he has crafted his game, he is very good at it. He does the things that you're supposed to do. And as I mentioned, that ability to kind of lean over and on almost on top of his opposition by being tall makes it a unique wrinkle where if he can avoid the uppercuts of Neary and can kind of back him up against the ropes, dude, he might have a legitimate chance. It's just that here's the thing with Neary. If you guys don't know, BC knows this. He can thump. 
He has vicious, vicious power for that weight class. And so if a guy like Figueroa is not careful, he is going to get sent to the land of wind and ghosts. Neary can <laughs> bang. I'm very excited about it. Well, it, it's, it's how much he can bang on Saturday, meaning Neary, that, that in some ways is the storyline of this fight. And to, to, to really break that down, what we mean is at 118 pounds where Neary was a title holder, he was destroying people. I mean, he was just, just, just knocking him out left and right. But Luke, he had a lot of issues making weight and eventually lost his title on the scales. He moved up to 122 in his last fight, like you mentioned, the Charlo pay-per-view undercard, took on unbeaten Aaron Alameda. I think there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes that maybe we'll find out later or whatever, but that was Neary moving with Eddie Reynoso, the trainer of Canelo Alvarez. And what we saw was a guy who wasn't overly explosive. He was uh, passive and slower, and he won that fight. Uh, one of the scorecards was wide. The other two were fairly close. Uh, and Neri outboxed Alameda, and that's not really Neri's game. And I think it's gotten a lot of people going, is this weight class too big for him? I mean, mm. uh, you know, Figueroa's team, this whole build of this fight is like, I don't know if he can punch at 22 like he can at 18. And if he can't, I'm the wrong guy, Figueroa talking about himself, because of the size and his ability to step in there and brawl and, and, and push the action. So Neri's uh, in an interesting spot. He didn't want to talk about it in the fighter meetings this week about what happened, but he said he's cut ways with uh with eddie reynoso and he's going back to his old original tijuana trainer where he's from i believe the guy's name is ricardo jimenez i could be wrong on on, on the last name there but the whole point is you're seeing nary i'm gonna surmise here luke from what i've heard maybe he he tried tried to round his game out a little more tried to be a little bit more slick and defensive minded still won the fight against alameda still won the title but just didn't feel like himself and certainly didn't look like the, the, the grandeur reputation that he brings in as a finisher and a slugger. If he just goes back to being a badass on Saturday against Figueroa, who, I mean, if you've seen any of the Figueroa brothers fight, well, there's two of them, but if you've seen them fight at any point, they just let it go and empty the tank. This is going to be a classic war, and the question will be, can Figueroa take Neri's power or... Can Neary go to make, can he make weight later today at 4 Eastern when they do it? And can he go 12 insanely fast-paced hard rounds right. if Figueroa can avoid getting finished? This could be a shootout. It could be a thriller. There's legitimate questions. The guy they're facing next, Stephen Fulton Jr., is going to be ringside. He'll probably be interviewed on the broadcast, maybe even by me at some point. And Luke, in the Coleman event, we got Danny Roman, who was the unified champion in this division just a year and a half ago until he lost to Akhmadaliev. He's coming back in a fight. He he believes he's the WBC mandatory to face the winner of this, and is kind of upset that Fulton's sort of been slid in. Either way, business picking up at 122, and I think Figueroa as a plus money here, as a slight underdog, is, er, mm. is very interesting here because he's got the size, he's got the gas tank. It's going to come down to whether Luis Neri can be Luis Neri and go in there and, and, and hurt people like he's known to do. Yeah, so simple, simple way to understand this. I mean, again, boxing can be quite complicated for the, the little details, but BC, I think you would agree. If Neri can't keep... If Neary's punching power and shot selection and what he lands, if he can't keep Figueroa off of him, oh, it's going to be a long night for him. By contrast, if he can, if Figueroa has real problems standing in the pocket where he's getting hit and then Neary's changing angles on him and either exiting or then firing on him again, it's he's not going to last. This really just comes down to, um, you know, does Neary have the strengths to push a guy like Figueroa off of him? And in fact, maybe even backwards. 
Love it. Love the connective tissue. We know who they're fighting next. We know what's coming up. It's going to be a fun one. Saturday night, check that out on Showtime, so 9 on. p.m. Before, before we go on, you're taking the place of Jim Gray. Does that mean you're doing locker room interviews? Yes. In-ring, locker room. Okay. Met, so locker room. Restroom. Restroom. Outhouse. You're going to cover all the bases you're, yes. you're, you're well known for. Are, you're doing post-fight, right? Yes. Anything else? I don't know. We'll find out Saturday night, okay. 9 p.m. Eastern, only on Showtime. Are they, are they making you wear a tie? Yes. So I had wow. to get the because I'm I'm you know extraordinarily fat right now. I had to get the uh, the, the fat shirt. dress shirt from the deep yeah. part of the the, the uh, closet. Look, you know I I can I was on Dan Canobio's CompuBox Live show yesterday, and I did compare myself to Sean Kemp post '99 NBA lockout. Remember that he just he just never stopped eating, and his career fell apart. Luke, I'm hoping that's not the case for me through this I quarantine. I don't I don't think our industry is as judgmental. I don't think our industry is as judgmental when it comes to weight gain, but uh, I understand the comparison. I've had some issues my, myself. All right. Uh, Luke, let's roll on here with some fight announcement reactions. So I'm going to present the fight announcement to you, Luke, and you're going to react. That's how this segment will work. Uh, August 21st, the UFC has announced a headlining fight, and Luke, it makes the, the loins inside of me uh, jiggle a little bit. Paulo Costa have not seen that man since the title loss to Adesanya and the subsequent excuse making against the crystallized Jared Cannonier. This should be special, Luke. Bro, people are underestimating this fight. Not that I've seen people come out and be like, oh, mm. I, I haven't seen anyone talk bad about it because there's nothing to say bad about it. But I haven't seen the same level of enthusiasm that I have. Did you? I, I don't think people understand and I say this complimentary, Jared Cannonier is insane. Like, if you've never seen some of his moments in fights where he just loses it and, and it goes berserk and then just walks down, guys, go go watch his fight against Ion Kutelaba. Dude, the killer, or yeah, the killer gorilla, I forget his nickname uh, at this point. Whatever he is, dude, Cannonier believes in the magical power of rocks, is in the best weight class that he's been in since he got in the UFC, is better than he's ever been, and inside of him, he has an absolute dog. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that he's invincible. He's got some noteworthy losses along the way, but you want someone in there with Paulo Costa, who has incredible intensity when he fights. You want someone in there that can kind of be a dance partner. Now, we saw that Romero fight. That was perfect. I'm not expecting exactly that level of, you know, bonkersness, so to speak, BC, but I am going to say, man, Dude, this is a much better matchup than the level of enthusiasm out there um, has sort of been representative of it. I love this fight. I think it's the great fight for both of these guys at this point in their career. I think the win would say a lot for the victor, assuming that you know there's no controversy around it. And I think this is actually super competitive in both directions. Absolutely love it. Yeah, you said uh, Jared Cannonier has a huge dog inside of him. Uh, both guys might have huge hogs, too, Luke. This is going to be a ballsy affair. I'm ready for it, all right? Uh, Luke, let's go one week earlier, you're August 14th. Worst, you're the worst person in America. <laughs> Headlined, uh, middleweights, Derek Brunson versus Darren Till, which is sort of a make-peace event after fights had fallen out. Do you like this for them both, Luke? Um... Sorry, I didn't quite hear you. So say it one more time. Derek Brunson versus Darren Till, August Oh, yes, 14th. yes, yes. Someone asked me yesterday in the live chat, I don't know if this is true, that the UFC was potentially targeting London for that. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if that 
is it all the case? I will say, I don't, I don't hate this fight. I really don't. And I'll tell you why. Derek Brunson getting the nice wins over Edmund Shabazzian and Kevin Holland, still, in my judgment, very much a player. Why did he get him? We went over it. I don't know that he's raised his offensive level so much, but his his ability to not make just make stupid mistakes is dramatic improvement. So that's great to see. In the case of Darren Till, man, Darren Till had that nice win over Cerrone. Um, and, you know, he's had some good fights in between, but he did lose to Masvidal. He did lose uh, to Whitaker. It was a close fight. But, you know, I'm looking for him to get back out there and, like, you know, and to Woodley as well. I'm, I'm looking for him to get back out there and just start putting the stamp on guys here a little bit, if I can be honest with you. And so a guy like Brunson, if Till is who he says he is, and we'll see what the injuries that have sidelined him a little bit say about that, but if he is who he says he is, who we think he is, that should be a winnable fight. The interesting part is Brunson's going to tell us whether or not Till is basically the real deal at this point. Not that we don't know he's good, but like where he re- when when push comes to shove, where does he really fit in that pecking order? This is a great fight to figure that out. And I'll say again for Derek Brunson, dude, if you can, you don't have to revolutionize your game. But if the things that cost you before, if you can take those away. Dude, it can do wonders for your career. I actually really like this for him because if he beats Darren Till, shit, man. Your win streak is Edmund Shabazian, Kevin Holland, and Darren Till. That's a fucking great win streak at middleweight. you got to respect it. So, again, I don't love this as much as the Cannoneer insanity with Bohashinya, but in terms of like smart, important, and kind of interesting matchmaking, UFC did a good job with this. Yeah, I like to see uh, Till have to earn it. I don't, want, I don't want a celebrity pass here. If he's going to get back into the title picture, earn it. And Brunson, unbeaten since going back to the Cisco hair, Luke, right? A little, little throwback. You know what? That Kevin Randleman look, it's not a bad look. Yeah, thong, the thong, thong. Luke, uh, Islam Makachev is riding a seven-fight win streak and very much looks to be the real, as the Iron Sheik often says. July 17th, he is booked for a fight night bout against Tiago Moises. Your thoughts? I have seen so many people complain about this. Why? Like how could you book Islam in a fight? Not against some kind of chump. It's not the UFC doesn't really have many chumps on the roster. Tiago Moises is a tough out. Okay, fair enough. But you know, you were thinking, I'm sure, like I was, like, okay, they're going to give him a name next. Like he's going to, you know, this, that, and the other. Dude, I don't know what the truth is. I am willing to bet everything I own, and I mean this sincerely that the UFC matchmakers called that guy and he said no and called this dude and he said no and then they called that fella and he said no and that jabroni and he said no. They don't want to fight this guy, period. And you can understand it. He is a fucking marauder out of the hills of fucking Dagestan. This guy is an absolute destroyer. He can do it all. Stumbled early against Adriano Martins in his UFC run but has more or less looked pretty goddamn flawless since then and he has... Uh, been on a tear. They got who they could basically get. I always tell folks, you got to be a little bit sympathetic towards matchmakers because here we are talking about this great two fights with a middleweight division and blah, blah, blah. And then you come to this one. It's not like a bad fight, but it's not it's not all that great and all that, frankly, not all that interesting. But the matchmakers are dealing with when they finally present a product to the public, a very edited version from what they originally wanted. They must have had all kinds of ideas about who they wanted Makachev to fight. And some are probably injured. Some at the top of the table are occupied with UFC 262. But I, I guarantee they went down that list and a bunch of them said no. And so they're kind of stuck with what they're stuck with. It's, it's interesting here, Luke. So 
UFC does a lot of behind-the-scenes content, right? They'll give you the embedded and the countdown, and, you know, I mean, they've got cameras following the guys around on their travel. So we get a real behind-the-scenes look. And, you know, that's something pro wrestling WWE has done in the past decade of, you know, still presenting the, the product to you as fake scripted stuff, but showing you behind the scenes what people's lives are going through. And some people, the purists, have said maybe they're showing us a little bit too much. Other people have said maybe they're not showing us enough. Why can't we be in the in the booking rooms while they're deciding who's going to go over who? You know, and maybe they keep that as the last vestige of protection of the business and not showing that. Do you think UFC could or should be showing us sort of like the negotiations behind the scenes? Would that uh, adversely affect things? Would that put the pressure more on fighters to accept difficult matchups? What if, like, we saw behind the scenes as, like, a show of, of which fighters are turning down which and for what stakes? No, they'd never show us that, Luke, but it'd be interesting as hell, yeah. right? Yeah, they, they want, they, the what you're right, dude. Two things they guard very closely. Their financials, you know, and obviously some of that has been made public by not their own will. They got forced into it. And then their matchmaking process. And the matchmakers don't do interviews, right? I honestly think it's because, like, what good can come of it? If you've ever had a candid con... Okay, let me put, peel back the curtain here a little bit. I've had can candid conversations with Bellator matchmakers, Strikeforce matchmakers, and it's not just Rich Child. There's some other ones there as well. Obviously, you know, he's now gone. But uh, I've had it with UFC matchmakers. I've never... Ha I've had one candid conversation with Joe Silva. I haven't had many with Sean Shelby. Bro, they're ice cold. <laughs> I mean, they're nice people. Don't get me wrong. But like when it comes to their job, they're fucking ruthless. All of them. All of them are ruthless. And I tend to think that that's not the sort of thing that they want the public to know. They want a nice, polished, to the extent possible, finished product that they can present that everyone enjoys. How the sausage is made, BC, I think if the fans saw it, they might get a little bit resentful of maybe some folks. But... That's just the industry. That's just the way it works, at least for right now. And so I, they're going to keep that private, probably for the foreseeable. Yeah, keep pillow. For, you got to have something, you know, that that that's that the people can't look in and see. I get that. So uh, is is it as uh, ruthless, Luke, as the live chat on our morning combat episodes? Have you ever <laughs> ever looked into that that den of sin and swam around in there, Luke? You mean the actual uh, like the live people? Sending in stupid messages like, hey, I fart on nuns' faces. Yes. And the I people have that are watching and... this show right now in that live chat and just putting straight filth out into the world. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of racism and, uh, you know, uh, hate for all things good in the world. But whatever. I mean, who reads Are those our P1 listeners, Luke, as you often say? Yeah, those are P1s. And that's why you can kind of be shitty to P1s because they don't ever go anywhere. So. <laughs> I love our P1s, just at a distance. All right, Luke, the final fight <clears throat> I want to get your reaction to. Uh, this is a pile of orgasm. Tiago Santos will take on Johnny frickin' Walker, September 25th, UFC fight night. Wow. Um, this is going to be explosive, spicy. And, Luke, it makes me wonder, I mean... Is this Maheta's? I don't know. It's like not his last chance. At, it's not his last chance. But Maheta was at the mountaintop against John Jones, and he fought through two legs falling apart underneath him, and remained a knockout threat until the final whistle. And some people thought had done enough to get the win, and then he goes away to get the repairs, and he comes back, and he's lost two tough fights against elite opponents. Uh, Johnny Walker has flirted with the elite, but never made the leap. This is win or go home for, for Shago Maheta, true or false? 
I mean, the dude's like 38. I mean, it ain't get, he yeah. ain't getting any younger, Luke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'll, I'll say this. I remember the night of the fight that he fought John Jones when it came out that he had two torn knees. And the debate was a little bit complicated over whether or not the, the, his corner should have pulled him because he actually injured them long before the fifth. And then the response was, you know, look, um, this, these are devastating injuries. We understand, you know, but like he may never get another title fight again. And I'm like, well, with two fucked up knees, he definitely ain't getting another one again. I can tell you that. So, you know, either way, you're going to be correct. But, I, you know, you understand in real time, you know, you're in the middle of a championship fight. Finding yourself back here, it's just going to be difficult. So just roll with the injuries. Okay, if you want to make that calculus, then make that calculus. But then when the bill comes due, you know, you got to roll with that too. And the bill is fucking due, man. And, you know, technology about ligament and tendon repair is better than it's ever been, but it's still pretty limited. And at age 38, uh, with all the time he missed and having to get right back, and, you know, you, you need your legs and your knees and your hips and even the, your tactile response with your feet on the ground to generate power and movement. And he just hasn't had it uh, since he came back. He, he's looked pretty good, but not exactly like himself. So maybe it's a process, BC, of just getting comfortable again. And, you know, UFC doesn't give you a lot of tune-up fights, so you kind of have to fight through it. Okay, that could be a possibility. But I also tend to think it's like, dude, these corners need to think about this kind of a thing. I, I understand. It is insanely complex and difficult to make a call about someone's future when they're in the middle of a UFC title fight. There's probably no good option. But you got to understand, if you make that call when a dude's fucking knees are both shredded, for him to keep going, you know, it, you, you are going to have a very uncomfortable future that you're going to have to live through. Uh, he's 37, not 38, so I'll dead wrong myself there. But, you know, however you want to frame it, if he loses, that's four consecutive defeats for a guy who seemed to be right there in beating Jones. And, you know, I'd rather give him credit for showing such insane resolve after two knees fell apart and still being a live threat against Jones. And then of even course, in that next loss... Following the comeback, Luke, I mean, he loses to Glover Teixeira, but he nearly kills him in the opening round. And who knows, that could have lifted him back to a spot to be ready for a title shot again. So, you know, it's, the margin of error is so slight, obviously, at this higher, highest level. Johnny Walker is a guy who can can finish you by accident, seemingly, because he's so dangerous. And, you know, he's turned away his own two-fight losing skid with that win over Ryan Spann, which reminded you of his first-round danger. All I know is if I'm, if I'm Yana Kunitskaya, Luke, and I know that, you know, the window is small here. And, you know, she wants her man to have a, a, a good time for as long as that long time is going to last, Luke. You know what I do? I slide into Johnny Walker's DMs. I have an, un, 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 unscrupulous, an, an, an inappropriate conversation. But then I frame the screenshot so it doesn't show that I was the one that reached out for him. And then on fight night, I present it to Maheta. And I say, if you don't beat this guy, I'm going home with him. Maheta will win that fight, Luke. It's that simple. Maheta will win that fight. Okay. People, people don't realize, like, you need to find, as a coach or companion, you need to find someone's true source of fear and motivation on the inside, right? I mean, imagine the mental images he's going to have of his woman with Johnny Walker, the circus clown. Luke. That might yeah, be enough. Like, it doesn't do work it. that way. Don't you, have you see, haven't you seen these, these fucking corners? are like, think of your kids. Think of your children. And then they go out there and they get smoked. Like, that shit doesn't work.
All right, Luke. All right. All right. Let's let's go to our final topic of the week, Luke. One championship dongle, dangle, dongal is back from uh, Singapore. Uh, is that Saturday? See, I can't figure it out if this fight already aired and it's going to be tape delayed. I don't even know if we should be previewing it, Luke. But Brandon Probably Vera not. is uh, going to defend his championship against Canadian Arjan Bular. Did that fight already happen? Look, I don't even know. I don't know. Arjun it's not Buller, on TNT. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was a former UFC vet, or I should say is a UFC vet, uh, fought previously for UFC. He was the guy who wrestled for the Canadians, although he is obviously natively from India. Um, nice dude, good wrestler, trained with Daniel Cormier. You know, I, I, there's been some issues, I think, with the overwhelming amount of like punches he throws versus the physical control he can exert. Um, so, you know, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. I've not seen any recent tape on Brandon Vera, I'll just admit. Um but that's a decent matchup. I like Brandon better at heavyweight at this point than light heavyweight. So, um, yeah, it should be fun. Okay, maybe it hasn't happened already, Luke. I don't know. I don't know. It's one. I mean, who the fuck knows what they're doing? Yeah. I'd rather just watch the Apprentice 1 Championship Edition and see who gets fired, Luke. That's what I'd rather watch, all right? You, wouldn't, you would rather watch Two Girls, One Cup for as long as you can. Look, I'm not kidding. I know people's dreams have been, you know, oh, we got robbed of the BC reaction. That would have been classic television. Look, I would have been scarred. I mean, at a at a at an emotional and spiritual level that I don't think I could have come back from. And, you, and I don't you know, know if you would, you're still going to watch it, right? I don't think that you and I would have been able to bounce back after that. Look, that I've read the Wikipedia page for that. The description is just I mean, it's not just filth, Luke. It's like it's vengeful filth. I mean, it's just like, how dare you? I mean, really, how dare you? Look, that could have ended both of our careers being attached to that. Um, it wouldn't. And you don't need to hear the sound to really get the impact. You're going to do that. I think the fans no. demand no. it. I think it's not important happening. for the show. BC, you're not going to last longer than 15 seconds. So you can't give me 15 seconds of your life, really? No, I don't, I don't think I can do that, Luke. And, and the thing is, um, I don't think it's worth it. And I think you should be better than that, Luke, at the end of the day. But um, that's what it is. Uh, I, we don't, I don't, you know, I don't need, I, you know, you tell me, oh, BC, we'll do it when we get, you know, 500,000 subscribers, whatever. I don't you know, I'm not into that. I'm not into that type of filth, Luke. All right. I do draw a line. All right. Yeah. You're going to watch it, dude, just so that's clear. I wonder, I wonder the, the, the dark thoughts that go through your head i do wonder that sometimes <laughs> you don't uh, some- know, but i will say bc i'm gonna it's going to happen so just you know buckle in get not, it <laughs> not into it thank you uh luke sometimes we don't Dude, always uh, on. the point of two girls one cup is that no one is into it and the key is to last as long as you can everyone hates it what makes you so special that you get to skip a an american rite of passage I remember in eighth grade uh, science class, Luke, their teacher had this thing where you could hook up your finger to this box and then it shocks you. And everybody was like acting like it was drugs and they're getting in line to get shocked. And I'm like, it hurts, right? Like I'm watching you people, you're getting hurt. And they're like, yeah, but it's awesome. You should try it. What BC, am I missing here? BC, you know what you're missing? The, the mirror showing you, when you look into the mirror, it shows you another man, also the, con- the color of Country Time Pink Lemonade, standing on some rocks in Hawaii, unwilling to jump into some tranquil, beautiful waters, and oh, just stands dare. there all day, doesn't actually commit to the bit. 
your Dana White at the edge of the rocks, not jumping in the water. You criticized him, Brian Campbell, all those times, and it turns out it's you. Well, we are both pasty old bitches. So, all right, Luke, let's keep this show going. Not everything we say each week is correct, Luke. In fact, sometimes we're dead wrong. All right, morningcombat at gmail.com is your email address for Wednesday fan submissions and for telling us the shit we got wrong. Just be careful, though. You may be the one that's wrong, and we'll expose that fact right now. Uh, Luke, uh, this is from both Michael and Kevin sliding in, saying, Last week during Friday's May 7th show, BC opened up saying it is Friday, June 7th. I get that Jay was back for a week, but that doesn't make... You guys, time travelers. That's a great joke right there. Uh, I don't even have anything mean to say this time. I'm just disappointed, they say, Luke. I'm dead wrong. It wasn't June 7th. It was May 7th from the Mohegan Sun. Yes. Okay. That's, that's, that's a pretty fair one. It's definitely fair. All right. All right. On Monday's show, this is Paul writing in. Brian Sign in the background said, don't bogart the MK. Surely it should say, don't bogart the MK in reference to the don't bogart that joint song from the 1970s. You're dead wrong, sucka. Ooh. Did oh, I really I have Bogard? That, that way, yeah, 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 yeah. You did. I guess you got it wrong a little bit there. All right, don't Bogard the joint. Don't Bogard MK either. Okay, you're, you're gonna Bogard all the two girls one cup views. All right, uh, web scream, dude. Web scream sliding in with a dead wrong. I have not seen this. All right, hello there, web scream here! Exclamation point. By the way. Again, congratulations for Web Scream and his lovely wife on the birth of their son. I would like to kindly submit a hilarious dead wrong from Wednesday's show. As Luke and Brian were commenting on my morning combat, Mortal Kombat crossover, BC said, I seek the light. You know that, Luke. To justify why he pre- would prefer being Sub-Zero rather than Scorpion. The problem is this Sub-Zero, known as the Elder Sub-Zero, Bihan, 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 is far more than a villain than Scorpion. He killed Scorpion's entire family. And when he was eventually killed by Scorpion, he came back to life as Noob Saibot. Basically yes, the, the embodiment- Noob Saibot is uh, one of the characters of the game. Hold on, hold on. Noob Saibot is one of the characters of the game's name backwards. Uh, basically the embodiment of darkness and evil. On the other hand, Scorpion only took a deal with hell to avenge his slain loved ones. Wish you all a great Friday show. Well, first of all, web scream, Christos Christophorus, thank you. This got a little nerd heavy, though. I have no idea what he's talking about, Luke. He's talking about, we were, we were discussing, you know, because he had me as Scorpion, you as Sub-Zero, and we were deciding, would you rather be Scorpion, would you rather be Sub-Zero, which one's more fitting? And the dude who played Sub-Zero, I guess the movie is so fucking... Have you seen the movie? No. Okay. You'd rather watch Two Girls, One Cup than the new Mortal Kombat. It's the worst movie ever made. I'd rather die than watch it again. And uh, in it, he's sort of talking about some of the plot movements there, such as there is a plot to that fucking heaping pile of, uh, you know... So is Web Scream right? He's right, right? He is right, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. All right, a final dead wrong this week. Uh, this is from Greg. The great and powerful BC was dead wrong on episode 155 at the 39.30 mark when he stated that Kayla Harrison's one-off fight outside of the PFL took place under the LFA banner. Kayla has actually never fought in LFA, it was and in her Victor. lone fight outside of the PFL took place in Invicta. Stay strong, BC. K 
Canada still appreciates you. Keep at it, fellas. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. Wow. Very nice. Very PC, polite. Can you change your avatar to a picture of you smooching your pops? <laughs> Very polite, the folks here the, the, from Canada and the one sending us to hell this week on Dead Wrong. Yes, it was uh, Ella. It was Invicta, November of last year when she knocked out Courtney King and proved that she could make 145 pounds. So, and, thank you, and folks. And she got to use elbows. Yes. Yes, she did. Yes. Soccer kicks? No. But elbows, no. yes. No soccer. Uh, so that's the uh, dead wrong of the week, Luke. Morning combat at gmail.com. Well, we 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 uh, we sprinted through this show. When I host, Luke, we get we're we're efficient. We get down to business, and and you still get a little of that ridiculousness on the undercarriage, you know. Yes, when you are not hosting, and I am, and I'm trying to move the show along, and you're doing sideshows like Michigan J Frog strutting down like the WB Network's fucking you know ads. Uh, it takes a little more time. Uh, well, Luke, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. You're obviously late to picking this up, but probably given my personality and, and, you know, abilities in front of a camera, I probably should have been post hosting this whole time. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, by the way, look at the chat there. They have the BJS tweet that we were talking about. Oh yes, please. Let's close the show. No tips this week. Uh, two guys, two tips. We don't do that. All right. We do one guy, one cup of uh, industry strength water here. Um, Luke, Billy Joe Saunders um, did not quit, as some people had said, against Canelo Alvarez after catching that uh, short right uppercut there in round eight that busted apart his eye. But you have details as to just how gruesome this injury and surgery yeah. actually was. Actually, can you blow the picture up? Because they've they, you actually can't quite see the the. Can you click on the tweet or no, um, Manish? Like the actual picture. Yeah, they're gonna put it up here. In the meantime, so you can see a few things here. That piece of the cheekbone is where is what was being reattached. And if you look, there's one that reattaches it. There it is above the lip one to the back of the skull, one above the eye, one below the eye, and this is the kicker. They had to close the bone together inside of the eye socket, which means the eye, I believe, has to be removed temporarily. They put that shit in there. They put the fucking eye back in. Damn! Dude, dude motherfucking Canelo broke this dude's face into a thousand pieces. This is why, you know, listen... I'm not saying that I think that Amir Khan couldn't have kept going against Bud Crawford, BC. I think he could have, you know. But when a dude's face swells up immediately like that, and you do, you can hear that shit land. And we know, we know Canelo punches hard. I mean, that's not really debated by anybody at 168 pounds. And then you see the result is this shit. Dude, if a fighter, an elite fighter, doesn't want to keep going, I'm not saying that they're never quitting. I am going to say more often than not, they're definitely not quitting for bad reasons. He could have gone fucking blind if he had kept going. That was really, really bad. I'm glad they stopped it when they did. Wow. <clears throat> wow, Luke. Uh, I mean, look, this is a wild sport. Michael Bisping lost an eye and kept fighting secretly. And, you know, yes, there are guys, you know, Ali fought through a broken jaw against Norton. I mean, there there are times where other people make decisions that, does it prove that they're tougher or does it prove that they're willing to risk more and, and sometimes pay for it long term? I mean, the fact that Billy Joe even finished this round, Luke, yeah, that's devastation incorporated right there. So yeah. shout out I mean, to Canelo I mean, there. If he had, if after that punch, if he had taken a knee, I wouldn't have blamed him. 
And I mean, I know yeah. all the hypocrite stuff about Dubois, and I we talked about it. I get it. I get it. I'm just saying, dude, look at what those fucking surgeons had. To, is it, honest question, dude? Is he going to be the same after this? Is that a given? I don't know if that's a given. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. All right, why are uh, there's there's some news? Uh, what's this? What's this Caitlin Chukagian thing? Our producers. Oh, I have to tell about. you off the air. <laughs> I have to tell you off the air. I'm serious. All it's right. hilarious, though. It's really funny. Okay. Okay. I, w- I can't wait to find out. Hopefully, it does not involve a cup because I don't ever bring that up again. I don't. No, really, it does not involve a cup. That, that I'm aware of, anyway. Okay. Okay. All right. Next. Um, okay. If you want to see BC in the next room service diaries, watch Two Girls One Cup. No, email no. the show morningcombat no. at gmail.com. Put in an okay, but look, DM. Tell, what what does that prove? What does that prove that we've got? Dirt hole listeners, okay, that 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 want to see a man's soul tarnished. All right, you'll live, you'll live. I mean, I mean, if you want to see what R. Kelly did to all those teen girls, right into Luke Thomas. Like, no, get out of here with that bullshit. All We're right? not talking about crimes. Everyone here is consenting. It's you know, yeah, I'm not. It's I'm, that's the thing. Behavior, I'm not legal. It's not two guys, one consent. Okay, it's 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 just one for for you know. All right, uh, Luke, that's the show for this week. You want to ramble about anything for a few minutes? We got the time. We got the space. Right. No, I think we're okay. Um, no, we're good. Good player. Okay, well, uh, you know, like and subscribe. Do all that. I'll do all that really nice stuff. Uh, our merch is coming. 2.0 will be available, I'm told, next week. And what that means is international shipping, a new line of, uh, of, of tailored merchandise just to us. Go to store.show.com, though, if you want to be outfitted in that insanely comfortable 1.0 merch that Bill and Jen of RV Adventures fame are constantly wearing around the globe. Um, shout out to them as well. Uh, Showtime, 30 days free. Okay, go to Showtime.com. Put in that forward slash Bellator MMA, though, and you not only get the 30 days, you can see my mug Saturday night inside the ring. You can also check out Bellator and all that good stuff. $4.99 a month for six months after the first. New subscribers only. Seriously, that's a heck of a deal. This is a premium network with a premium product. And uh, you want to be involved in what's going on because you you, you got to see what's going on in Bellator. We got tournaments, uh, you know, wrapping up. Cyborg comes back next week. You do want to be a part of this moving forward. Oh, Valerie Loretta back next week. Luke's favorite fighter. So that's an interesting tidbit right there. Uh, Luke, anything else you want to you want to put out there in the world? No, I wish you uh, nothing but the best of luck tomorrow. Uh, enjoy the fights. I'll be looking forward to your coverage. Don't fuck up. Don't shart. And um, you'll do well. Oh, look, I, oh, let's close with this. Did you see the CDC uh, announcement about masks? Yes, basically, if you're va- fully vaxxed, you don't really need to wear a mask, more or less. I- I'm, I'm completely in agreement with it. It's, I'm sized. But they're already not wearing masks in the American South. Yeah, well, <laughs> they might be. Uh, but that's not exactly in keeping with the best understanding of uh, scientific information. But if you are, in fact fully vaccinated uh you can basically go back to life as normal bc oh here's one thing i should point out i'll kind of tease this a little bit so i spent this past week talking to a bunch of epidemiologists because i have been very closely following as you know ufc what was it 261 was in florida right so hold on a second God, you like love, this. this is the, hey this dr is fouch you, like. you, hold on. you love this shit. You, fucking, right? you love dude, it you have an inability to accept information that you don't like. I don't know why you are this way, but you are this way. Understand what I'm about to say here, please. 
If you look at the numbers from April 24th, that last uh, UFC pay-per-view in Jacksonville, one week, then two weeks, and then tomorrow will be three weeks past that date. There is no change whatsoever in COVID hospitalizations. There's no change, uh, I should say upward anyway. There's no change in deaths. There's no change in in, uh, in not amount of cases. In fact, all of the metrics, both in Florida and in Duval County and nationally, have fallen down. So I actually spoke to four different epidemiologists. I'm like, dude, if this caused thousands of uh, cases of COVID, wouldn't it have shown up in the numbers? And they said, yeah, it looks like that you can do these kinds of events probably without a whole lot of problems. So I think with vaccinations and everything else, this is great news. This is great news. So there you oh, go. Oh, oh, the duality, the dichotomy, the ridiculousity of being Luke Thomas. In one breath, you're talking me into for actually forcing me to watch uh, <laughs> women uh, <laughs> engage in just, I, I mean, just, uh, just unspeakable acts of filth. <laughs> and then four seconds later, you're like, well, I actually called up four different epidemiologists as if there's even four active in this country that you could have access to, Luke. Anyway, I will say, though, that it feels great that we're getting back to some form of normal. And I don't know if you saw this, but a lot of major bands are putting out concert dates. Dead and Company is back. They're going to be back. I mean, a lot of fun stuff in, in sort of those other things we used to do that we weren't able to do. Packing arenas for fights and, and concerts. I mean, this is the stuff I need, Luke, to feel alive again, okay? Hey, listen, if you're not vaccinated, go get vaccinated. The only reason, the only reason that these numbers are plummeting day after day where UFC can hold an event and it's not a super spreader at all. Or, BC, I'm going to follow the numbers from Texas for this Canelo fight. It had, what, 70-something thousand in there? I'm going to be following that. But if the if the case is what we think it is, think it is, knock on wood, they should be fine there too. So uh, go get vaccinated if you haven't. There's plenty of ways to do it. It's totally free. And it's the reason, according to a report from Axios, they talked to the Cleveland Clinic yesterday, BC, 99.7 of all people who go to hospitals now for uh, COVID-related issues or illnesses, 99.7 are unvaccinated. You might still get it if you've wow. got the vaccine, but you're going to be just fine. It'll be no worse than the common cold if you get it at all. Motherfucking thank you, scientists. You're the shit. Love you. Good fucking work. See, I normally don't like your political rants on this show, but uh, it's not a political I will be getting... Rant. My kids are now eligible for the vax as well, so I'm, I am excited in that regard. Uh, half of right-wing America that watch our show just turned you off, but that's okay, Luke. Uh, we know you get turned back on to really gross things while you're alone, so that'll be just fine. Uh, that's the show for this week. That's Luke Thomas of CBS Sports and Showtime. My name is Brian Campbell. A thank you to all our wonderful viewers and listeners who keep us going and afloat. Uh, yes, we do have huge things coming uh, I mean, Floyd's coming back. We got Connor Poiwei 3. I mean, there's some great things coming. We're going to be a part of it. Get a part of us. Like and subscribe. All that good stuff. Thank you to Malka, Showtime, CBS Sports, all the labels that support and or pay me and us as well. Um, I'm really excited about life, okay? I'm in California, my favorite state. I'm not allowed out of the room due to COVID purposes, but I'll be looking out that window all day. So um, have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the fights. And... Um, Come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow right here. Morning Combat. Yeah, that's it. That's it, okay? And, uh, you know, if, if you can find a few hoes that are loyal, stay with them. All right? We out.